I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Hey guys, welcome back to the Anson's podcast. We have an episode this morning that I have wanted to bring you for a year, a conversation with Joe Steinke on the life cycle of a community. Who is Joe Steinke? Good question. Uh, Some of his credentials, he's part of a global leadership team for the Boiler Room Church Network, a network of churches in houses, usually, that were born out of the 24-7 prayer movement. Uh, He's a leader in the Antioch School, which is church-based training in theology, certification in theology. But really, Joe is an apostle, which, you know, we know comes from the word, the sent one, uh, to actually bring the story of Jesus to people in specific places and then form those people into a new family. I know all this language is pretty churchy, And it's no secret that Anson's is slow to get on board there. But what you're going to see, what I've had the benefit of seeing in Joe, is actually what it is in our life with God that draws us into a community, what kinds of life cycles that community goes through, and how to actually stay engaged so that we together, whatever your band is, keeps growing into maturity as a community. Uh, It's pretty mind-blowing, the utopian slope. Know you're going to enjoy it. Without further ado, here is Joe Steinke. Guys, welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. We are outside today because it's extremely beautiful. And you might hear a little wind noise uh, or the traffic going by on 30th, but I hope not. But we are here with, as we were explaining, Joe Steinke, as well as our pastoral team, Tim Thornton, who you've heard on this podcast, and Lori Thornton, who you have not heard yet. Um, But we're sort of hoping that they're going to cut in with color commentary from time to time as we dive into a particular topic around life and community. So, Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast. Such a pleasure to be with you. So, the way I want to frame this is to go back to... 2016. All the way back there. <laughs> was anybody else expecting it to be like slightly further? <laughs> <laughs> All the Just way li- back. I don't know. I don't know. It's All hard the to way back two to two years ago. Biblical times. <laughs> and Yesterday. Some, some friends of ours here in town who shared a neighborhood were talking about coming into the home church community that we had on their side of town. And I remember in particular one conversation, the husband was deployed at the time, so he and I were, you know, communicating via email, but then I'd have conversations with his wife, and she was asking, like, so we got to the point where she was like, so what are some of your concerns for the community right now, and are there things that are, like, difficult, and 
at the end of like, it was only the end of like, you know, really a few months of being a part of like a home church model and wrapping my mind around it. And I was like, no, it's awesome. And so I would be surprised, uh, fast forward about a year when I realized a few things. Like one was that I hadn't actually had a one-on-one conversation with a friend who was leading our community and not Tim, the one who was leading our smaller community in a year and was so deeply frustrated with sort of like the way that church was going and the way that we were resolving issues and like sort of like, man. And I wouldn't even put the two together then, but it was like I had this incredible experience of coming into like, here are people who are just doing it right, finally. And then I like, you know, get down that track 12 months and I'm like, maybe just there's... The church is just an illusion. (laughs) Insert at this point, um, running into a framework that you, Joe, brought to our community about sort of the life cycle of a community, that that is actually, that my experience isn't abnormal, uh, but that there's actually sort of a way to walk that through that, which you call the utopian slope. And so I just want to throw to you, what's the utopian slope? All right, well... The Utope Slope got nicknamed that um, after I presented it early on to a group of uh, young adults that were walking through some of their hopeful expectations that had been dashed (laughs) and had developed uh, through just some reading of organizational life cycles and my own experience, an understanding of how we ascend to a hopeful, imagined future with a group of people that we align ourselves to in some sense of relational commitment early on. And and somebody has a vision. They have some hopeful imagination of of a cool future together. And oftentimes in the church, this is visionary leaders that come and say, hey, I'm going to point at something and we're all going to take this hill together. And it's very vision and and maybe even project or outcome-based. And our, our youthful enthusiasm, man, just rushes in line to just, you know what I mean, climb that hill and sacrifice for whatever. And, and um, if you're not just totally burnt over and a cynic because <laughs> you've been through too many cycles like that that have not produced the outcomes that you expected, usually we stand up and, and um, align ourselves to that. But what you find is if it's only driven by the unique vision of some individuals who then do not have the wherewithal on knowing how to build quality relationships at the core of that project or community or (laughs) we could even marriage like talk about hopeful expectations to a shared future (laughs) that then you vow to one another at some original point if if you if you don't steward that space of relationship well, you can get to the point where um, you ascend to that hopeful imagination, and inevitably, the drag of our faults and frailty and failures with each other falls short all the time of that hopeful expectation, and and really we call it the utopian flaw. It's built into all of the life cycles that we go through particularly in relationships with each other. So just to 
dwell on those first sentences for a while, because I know now with the lens can identify a number of utopian slopes that I've handled and mishandled at various times. I feel like uh, some of the ways that you might know that you're going through this are like, I think of the experience that I've had at different times in like different small groups of like, oh, we finally have like a great, a bunch of great guys grabbing coffee every week or, oh, sweet. Like that guy just talked about a way of reordering the way that we meet around the table. We're scrapping the thing that we were doing as a community. We're going to focus on meals. And there's this like, yes, that is what this should actually look like. I think the part that feels important to that stage is that that's actually, to a certain extent, necessary. Like, you need a vision. And to ask the beginning of community life, the beginning of any relationship, like, are there key things that you would look for, especially talking about, like, community life, your band of brothers, your small group, whatever it is? What, what needs to be on the table in the sort of vision casting part? Yeah, so the origins of any healthy commitment in relationship requires a sense of being called to one another. <laughs> the first question is for good, for, for good, healthy friendships, marriage, community, even a good project, a seasonal project is, who are we to one another should lead your question, you know? And let's do that first work or friendship. We have a phrase um, that we love to throw around. We call it friends praying and dreaming together. But you can't bypass. That's right. Friends praying together. Friends praying and dreaming and praying together is the origins. Um, but to get there, your vision can't drive the thing because we can all we can all cheerlead and wave the towel towards an end zone <laughs> of some outcome. But that gets uh, you know there's a really popular season in the church where everybody is writing books about purpose driven stuff and mission driven and vision driven this and that. But I think um, over time people started to feel inside of those driven systems. Um, that that they were so utilitarian in their their expectations of I show up to get st- God stuff done, instead of I'm coming into a season at least a seasonal covenant relationship to be known, and to share the best of who I am in God with you. And out of that shared space, we're going to actually produce something really beautiful that the Spirit of God is going to uh, give birth to amongst us in the greenhouse of our friendships. And so what you have to start with is friendship and some prayer. And then I'd even, I'd even say, what do we value should precede the question of what's the vision? Because if you, if, you, if you orient around a shared sense of core values, well, we value these things. Let's invite through prayer what the Holy Spirit might prompt as a vision out of our friendship, our praying, and our dreaming together around our values. Then you get a shared buy-in, and it's not driven by one um, person with a lot of charism, uh, or you know what I mean, in their personality. They're, they're usually the most articulate <laughs> individuals, and they're most, they, they usually have the most extroverted temperaments. 
and they can point at something and call a charge to it. But I find that those that sort of um, thing falls short of these original things that are much more healthy to do uh, something sustainable in the kingdom. That's huge. It feels like motive really does end up revealing so much about a group or a relationship. And it feels like what you're naming right now, if I set out into a friendship or a marriage with this goal in mind, this picture I might have, it ends up feeling very me-centered. It ends up feeling like this thing I want to achieve, this thing I want to reach. And if we don't get there, or if it doesn't look the way that I had in mind, we failed. Something's wrong. I've partnered with the wrong person. I'm in the wrong friendship. This isn't working. But if instead the motive is this way of living and being, like it completely changes the paradigm, and that's huge. What I think I'm super intrigued by is I, I always want the map, right? Like I want to know what's coming next month, next year, two years from now, even further would be awesome. But if I could have those first three, I'd feel like I won the lottery. And it sounds like the way that I've experienced the way most people talk about relationships is it's going to be hard. You know, the, the advice that's given to young marrieds is it's not meant to just make you happy. It's meant to grow you. And that can actually feel a bit like a wet blanket at first. You're like, I actually just want some joy. And can we bless that? But with community, it feels like if people are jumping in, there's a new level of maturity and buy-in. That it's not just friends hanging out. There's this commitment. And yet, it sounds like you're able to name, there's a river you're going to cross at some point. And it's going to be really helpful if you go into it with the right motives because you'll actually reach the river rather than imploding really quickly. But once you do, here's something to be aware of, and it doesn't mean you failed. And like, if I could have that applied to any situation, I feel like I would be so much better off. But what you're naming with the slope sure sounds like a kind of way of naming that for a community. I just want to hear more about what that river or what that downturn feels like, looks like, experiences like. Yeah. So a companion to this whole conversation, which is what we would call becoming lifelong learners. You've got to understand that however you get to a ascent together towards a hopeful future, whether it's vision-driven or a really relationally healthy core group of friends or a committed core going somewhere, you're going to have these um, parts of that cycle that are going to have your early buy-ins and your first accomplishments together. You're going to have um, stuff that happens that the way that you speak to one another, the way that you relate to one another, the priorities that you bring to the, the kinds of fellowship that you create, eventually they create a culture within your core. And culture curating is really important because it can either be, uh, like I said before, mission vision driven stuff you know for certain outcomes or it can be it can be a prayerful uh friendship that's journeying together as it unfolds either way you're always going to fall short of the ideal and what happens in that moment is you hit what we call the utopian flaw and you start coming down what you what, what what's been nicknamed the utope slope so the back end of that that bell curve 
the first thing that drops in is we start to have doubts and questions about where we've been and who we've been together. And anybody that's been married for any season <laughs> knows that you got to have these reviews, you know, of like, who I've, are, I've never experienced who this. Are I don't know what you're talking about. one another now. It must be know? in the future for me. <laughs> but you, you have these questions and these doubts. And everybody has got to um, embrace that as the most healthy thing that you can fall into. Because it is so good to have questions come up and doubts about even ourselves so that you can hold them out in your hand before one another and say, okay, in light of these questions, how are we going to then take these questions and live into the tension of them in a process that creates a learning curve for us instead of going down the slope of some, the, the back end of, of what disappointment creates for us. And that's the key right there. That's the key moment. Whoever stewards a conversational, prayerful space in the place of doubt and questions is either going to help it move towards a learning curve or you're going to hit the back end of the slope, which takes you down what we call the D's of descent. <laughs> you do not want to ride the D train. <laughs> <No>. So, <laughs> is that PG? <laughs> Maybe you should put a little more. Joe will define means. it for you. <laughs> please, please do. Oh, before we, right before the D train, there are some phrases that come to mind, like, you know, just as like points of entry into what that conversation looks like. Because, I mean, the first thing that I hear and you say like prayerful conversation between a community that shares values around disappointment, that's like the first thing that doesn't happen for me is the, is the conversation post like, oh man, I guess our friendship you know, I guess I'm just not valued in the way I thought I was in this community. Like, end of story. Not, you know, and it has at various times taken me a really long time to end up in the same room with a few key people and go, I feel like there's something in our relationships that's like, that's creating an experience for me or I feel like it just doesn't matter. And then, and not, I usually in those conversations that I can think of now don't know like, this is our community problem. Like, here's what it is. But, I mean, you're talking about an ability to, like, group together and go ahead and, and share and cr- make the disappointment the topic of conversation between people. Well, what I love, Joe, is that you are laughing as you talk about the downturn, which implies this, it's not actually the end of the world that this thing is going to happen. This is not going to break you. And I like that there's a little bit of lightheartedness to the way that you're able to name it. Like, that's really hopeful. Yeah, so, so to, get, to get to what you were featuring first, we got to back up a little bit because when we talk about curating a culture, you know, the way we speak to one another, the way we invite each other into our heart journeys, the way that we open up ourselves in vulnerability takes trust. So if you have curated a culture of open honest, respectful conversation and prayer at the core. You have curated a culture, hopefully, where these kinds of questions and doubts and a critical review process, a critique, a healthy review process can take place without it melting down everybody's relationships because we know how to be open, honest, respectful, and we have an honor culture amongst us that 
is what originated us and it's what's going to sustain us through whatever this process that we have to go through. So, so what you're saying, what I'm, and this is the problem with youth led endeavors is that they're usually not mature enough unless they've been fathered well or mothered well and have been through this process by imprinting or got discipled into, you know what I mean? A, a culture curating process like this where they carry that. And usually we turn a lot of youthful zeal loose to go take a hill and then it, it crashes and burns because they do not know how to shepherd that moment. They're not mature enough or they haven't been, you know what I mean? Uh, they haven't been imprinted with the fathers and mothers that, at me? that know how to, uh, <laughs> to, bring that, to bring that along, to open that conversation and, and either modeled at the family table <laughs> around a meal or in community together. Yeah, I remember something that sort of modeled this. Um, it's quite a while ago now, but it wasn't even, it was a great moment, and I'm kicking to you, Thornton's, where your son had gotten like this cleaning solution in his eye before everybody came over on Sunday morning. And Lolo had been like, oh, he's going to be fine. Tim said something about my son's not going blind. But when the, when the community came over, they were still sort of like modeling this back and forth and, someone mentioned it, like, it's so cool that you guys are willing to, like, kind of keep the places where there were conflict going in front of people. And Lo jumped in to be like, well, we set rules about how we're going to relate with one another as a marriage. And you guys are giving me the no signal now, so I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish telling you what you said that was impactful. And what, a, <laughs> but, you know, it was literally, literally around a table and it was, you know, Lolo going like, well, like, we just, we set rules in our marriage where we're not going to go after the other person. We're, we know places that they are vulnerable. We're not going to bring that up, especially not in a public setting. And it, so we've made boundaries that let us. Is it, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, now you remember Aaron's near loss of sight? I still don't remember that, but I, I remember, I remember it, but I don't, I couldn't tell you the exact words because my memory is kind of like seeing through a fog, you know. Um, but yeah, it's really important. And this is what is super important for the larger family of faith too. And just any relationships is to, is to, in our marriage, we've had a, we've set some standards to create a culture in our home of how we are going to interact together and like not hitting below the belt right? Keeping, and what you're, what you're pinpointing is like keeping each other covered is how we talk about it. Not exposing each other, but like treating each other with a lot of respect and honor, especially around others. That, that doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It just means that we, that we keep, we keep, we keep some weight on uh, the deep vulnerability that we know is there, right? So that we, it creates a space where we can open our, ourselves vulnerably to each other and um, and it doesn't tank us if we have a conflict or even have a conflict in front of other people. Right, where it feels like, it just feels, that was that's a big illustration of where like values precede yes. mission. yeah. Right. We, we've set up a culture in our marriage and hence in the people that gather around our table as well, where we value one another in such a way 
with so much clarity that we're not afraid of conflict, which is often what we hear from new people when they they come and start gathering around. Is like, wow, I've never seen anyone who engages in conflict health healthfully like this. I think that was that was the remarkable thing of the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, for Tim and Lori and, and Joe, we were talking about. I think most people's experience of a community like this before a community like this is going to be their family. And so what they're going to be bringing to the table is all of the wonderful and terrible ways that they've learned that conflict gets resolved and their voice gets heard in a group and in a community and especially when hearts are on the line. And there's just no recipe like that for people to want to bail or hide or take offense and kind of bring them all at once. So assuming... Here's a big assumption for a moment that you actually have some like key values about a life with God in place, about the formation of Jesus and each other, about how you're going to resolve things. What if you're in a community and you experience disappointment? Let's flip it. I'm going to go back to the D train and go. What can you What can you look out for? Because it's a very personal experience of I, you know. I feel like, wow, I guess these relationships didn't mean to me what I thought. We agreed. They meant to one another. What happens next on the D train? Yeah. So Yeah, wait for my sake. Can we can we talk about the D train? You you skipped this earlier, but I I, <laughs> I feel like for my sake. Everybody wants to go down the know. D slope. <laughs> 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 Just one thing that comes before that. I know you really want to talk about the D train, Sam. But the moment that Blaine was talking about, what struck me is that the... Oh, no. I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, speaking of That's the bad. D train. That's bad. Lori and I, part of the reason it was so hard to recall what had happened that morning is we believe in what Eric Peters calls the miracle of forgetting, where basically once we get something resolved, it, it kind of goes away, and we don't have to remember it. Anymore. It's one of our rules, because we yeah. don't bring up things that are resolved. Yeah, that's true. But here we are. That was just a sidebar, so I could regain my train of thought about what Blaine said, which provoked in me this, this train of thought of maybe I'm not valued the way I thought I was, is like, whose voice is that? That that's, is a whisper that does not come from the Father who made us for intimacy. Like, that, so, so right there is a, is a moment where isolation is a possibility, right? That, that train of thought is one where I, I begin, if I agree with it and obey it, to actually sever myself from the body. And that has huge consequences, not just for the mission, but for our purpose. And what I've come to believe is that mission actually proceeds from identity, and if we, if we have our own identity in Christ really secure and we embrace a communal identity as the family of God, the bride of Christ, uh, the body of Christ, we recognize it's okay for the body of Christ to be broken. It's not okay for it to be severed. The body of Christ is broken, but it's not severed. And so this is a moment where we actually get to choose the intimacy that we were made for. We see imprints because I know we've spent a lot of time in the scriptures together in Genesis 1 and 2 of what were, what were we made for? What were we set into? Intimacy with one another and intimacy with God. And from that proceeds the fruitfulness of 
children and offspring and, you know, for the church conversation, spiritual children and adopting in of strangers. And, and mission is sort of the going forth of fruitfulness that takes over the whole earth. And so like that, those, to recognize those thoughts at the key moment Joe was talking about and saying, wait, am I isolating right here? If so, it's going to lead me down, well, what Sam wants to talk about. It is. And, and Tim, that's a huge point to... Boom. <laughs> yeah, to to be aware of what those messages are. What that the it may feel internal, but it feels like this. People always blank or I am valued like this and I and I knew it are super revealing. I think probably on the beginning of that back end of the what we're calling the downturn when it's your personal identity that's being revealed in this communal identity. And you, you you can't not blow, you can't just blow past that. You have to acknowledge that for the sake of the community. And it feels like the way the community responds and the way that the leaders respond, because it's really who we are talking to right now is potential leaders in this moment, ways to handle that. Yeah. So in these times of crisis and conflict, it's going to take mature leaders. And that, I'm not just saying people of age, but people that have, you know what I mean? Learned how to curate this space of open, honest, respectful conversation and prayer together to invite a healthy critique process where you come together again and you steward that space. It takes it takes pastoring that moment, right? And out of that, you ask a set of questions, you know, okay, who who have we been to one another? Have we violated any of our values? And if so, what's the fruit of that in our relationships? Have we, what, what do we need to possibly repent of and change and reconcile here so that we can stay, stay friends that are on a journey together? And then really one of the ways that you engage that is through reminding each other of the truth through the scriptures and through prayer. And then uh, setting course for a new way to be together that revives the original values that you had and say, well, let's let's point at a new future together as we're reconciled. But we've been able to really hear one another. We've been really able to listen and we've been able to pray and we sense the goodness of God. We're reconciled and we can move on. So that's a critical moment. Now we're going to get to the slope, okay? The D's of descent down the back end. If you don't have somebody that knows how to steward that space well, and the questions come and the doubts come, the first thing that happens on the backside of this is if people go into isolation because of family of origin, you know, this is how my family dealt with conflict or these are my insecurities and I'm going to go into isolation, you usually start with the place of disappointment. And so disappointment we have all the time. It's an emotional feeling that we recognize, you know what, we didn't, this didn't meet my, ex, my hopeful expectations. And in that space of disappointment, we have learned our own ways to be resilient because a lot of people have disappointed us along our journeys. So we have our own resiliency uh, patterns that shock absorb some of that. It's, you know, well, that's, how, that's who you are and that's how you are. I can get over it. You know what I mean? I'm just going to take it on the chin or, you know, move on, right? But if that's left too long and you sit with that, you can fall into the next level of going down the backside of it. 
And from disappointment, you can get discouraged. And instead of it just being at an emotional level, it gets into your heart where you start to go, you know what? I'm losing my courage here. I'm discouraged. It's, uh, I'm losing my want to. Like, I, I don't know if I can get up for this again because this is hitting my heart now. And, and then if you sit with that too long in isolation, it can go further down the slope from not just disappointment, but discouragement, but you can get into disillusionment. And this is where the light starts to go out of your eyes and you no longer can see the other people or the thing that you were committed to with any sort of clarity. Things get foggy and that's when the super funk kicks in and the light goes out of your eyes and you, you just can't see it anymore. And if you're there, that's kind of a danger spot to be because if you sit too long in disillusionment, I'm not just emotionally impacted. I don't have a want to anymore. And the light of this thing has gone out of my eyes. I can fall into uh, either a mild or uh, a weighty despair. Your hope gets lost. And when your hope gets lost in despair and you sit in that too long, there's actually a chemical thing that starts triggering in your brain chemistry that's called depression. And, and, and you sit there and people fall into this place of like, I, I'm, I, you know what I mean? I'm checked out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm out here on the dark side of the moon. And uh, I need a rescue at this point from someone that can find me here and bring me back from my, you know what I mean? My real hopeless sadness. I feel personally what comes up is I think I've experienced firsthand and secondhand kind of a sanctifying of the disappointment of like, well, I was meant for better relationships. I was meant for Eden. I was meant for a way of interacting that didn't have these things. And that almost feels like a permission to go further into and towards that depression, towards that disillusionment, towards all of that, this way of being like, you know, I am actually justified in my disappointment and I'm not going to really do much to change it because, hey, it's a fallen world and people are broken and especially that person. And so why bother? Is there one thing or are there multiple ways that you offer to respond to those? Is there something that applies wherever you are on that particular scale? Or is there like, if you're here, pull out this way? Oh, I'm going to cut in before Joe really quick and just go. The incredible value of naming in sort of outlining this process were doubts like, and then disappointment built into these things. Of we are now only going to use D words. <laughs> demonstrates dubitable delirious. I can only think of adjectives. Um, Dislocated. But I think there's this thing, you know, and like for you guys listening, just to go, this is a, this is a really helpful uh, tool to hold up to your experience of community. I was sitting, you know, back chair by the door first time I heard this, which could have been a symbol in like a film sense and going, oh my gosh, I can, I can see how that works. And it's, and knowing that that's the progression, like gives you permission to ask the question, like what, what is the alternative? 
because, you know, it's not just like, hey, man, are you realizing that you are, you know, starting to experience, like, some disillusionment? Don't be disillusioned. It's like, well, you can identify that you're on this, and then it, like, stirs in you, like, whoa, what, if this does happen in communities, what does a response look like? Right, I, th- I think that's why I so quickly jumped to that, because it's it's such an accurate naming of my experience, and I'm sure of many, many people's experience, and to go, whoa, 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 that's, that, that feels spot on. Okay, how do I pull out of the nosedive? Yeah, it's really one thing, but it's expressed in two, th- two ways. It's the rescue of Christ. How I say it's a squirrel, but it's Jesus. Just wait, just wait. Is it fuzzy and brown with a big fluffy tail? Okay. Because who else has entered into the doubt, the discouragement, the you know disillusionment and despair of Adam's experience inside of our experience? by participating in it fully by Christ himself. This is where you have to have a theological recognition of the, the, the participatory nature of Christ in the incarnation inside of our experience, the sympathetic high priest, Jesus, who then comes into the darkness with us and can personally come and meet you there. But it takes the covenant community of Christ to hold you and speak the truth to you in these in these ways that commit to you even while you're in that space and pray and say, God, come do a rescue here. And it might not be one coffee talk meeting or a long lingering around a fire, which I call fire therapy at my house. <laughs> but um, but it might take a year. It might take a season. Uh, it might take some some ways to just sit with somebody in their 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 space, like um, you know, when when the when the children of Israel were in their Babylonian exile, and the, the I think it was the prophet Ezekiel was called to speak to them. The first the first uh, uh, assignment that he had was to just go sit with the children of Israel for a week before he opened his mouth in the and just sit with them in their stories. And in their despair, and then he opens his mouth and speaks to this beautiful way forward. And that's the way of Christ to come to us. And that's how we have to be Christ in community together with each other and say, I'm going to sit with you and we're going to pray into this and we're going to hold you in this space. And, and, and there's some mystery about if you're covenanted together like you are in a marriage, when, when one is weak, the other might be strong on their behalf, you know, and say, we're going to hold with you on this until you have a breakthrough. And then here's the beauty of it. The Spirit of God has been given from Christ himself to us to meet us in those places to bring the beautiful rescue. And we have to depend upon the resurrection from the tomb, you know, the third day and Jesus coming back and announcing the kingdom again to the disciples who had gone through this whole de-slope process, right? And he had to reinstate them not only about the announcement of the kingdom, but had to go to Peter on the shore. Talk about a guy that was just in despair, gone back to fishing, and Jesus himself comes back and says, Peter, do you love me, right? In the middle of that. And he reinstates his calling, and he calls him forth out of his despair. 
and he recommissions him into the very calling that he had upon him. And that's the way of Christ with us. And that's how we need to hold each other in the, in the covenant community of the church, really. And this is the beauty of it. And if you have this culture and you have this um, invitation for Christ to come into these spaces, it's where, it's where the rescue can happen. It, it rarely happens in isolation and where people um, find themselves lost in their own darkness. Speaking out of like, you know, an experience of mine on the, on the back end of the utope slope, go ahead and like, you know, what you're, you have, you explain the way that the community comes around. There is like this principle thing. It seems like it looks like a text message. It is like, I think I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing disappointment. Can we have a conversation or I think for me, you know, with a fellow leader, I'm looking at you, Anthony, because we've worked this through, and I love you. Um, and I'm really sorry, it was my fault. Um, <laughs> but it, what it looked, you know, in my head was like, I'm going to initiate this conversation. No one's going to be free for like two weeks. Like, what's the point? But like feeling the Holy Spirit prompt, prompt me through simply knowing about the D-train was the prompting of like, send the text anyway of, can we have a conversation between the people who are core in this group? And it was, uh, yeah, I'm free two weeks from now, but going, okay. And then you get two weeks later and there's finally like the after dinner, like this is my experience. And it initiated the process of like conversation in a core group, the ability to address these things. But it was like not accepting the isolation as reality by recognizing that like, Jesus was prompting and pushing and like resourcing even through this podcast gang of like what of the necessary turn to pull out of, I didn't like pull myself out of the nosedive, but I could turn and go like, these are the things that I know about our life and community with one another. Can we have a conversation? And it initiated a successful expression of coming back together around like the shared values. And that seems like, where it turns is you come back into that almost an inaugural space. You can't underestimate the power of not just conversation, but also the address of, of the scripture to allow the living word of the spirit to address you. And then there's, there's something just magical, I'll say it, and mystical about prayer. Prayer commands that everybody, if you pray, rightly when you come to prayer you're always saying uh, god you're big and i'm small you're sovereign and i'm not you know not my will but yours it it, it all these words like humility and submission and 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 one-heartedness let's get to be of one-mindedness together um it, it's uh prayer invites humility and then God has something to work with there. The Spirit of God has something to work with there. So if you if you haven't learned to pray in your your marriage, or your best friendships, or your core covenant community, you, you almost you almost don't have a, a a catalytic space for the Spirit of God to actually do that work. Conversations are good, and airing out where you're at is 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 good. Listening to one another you know, is wonderful. 
But if you neglect this space of like, let's submit this to the Lord together and let and invite the Spirit to do a, a creative work amongst us, I don't know if there's a turn. I, I, at least in my experience, where that's neglected, sometimes there's a turn if people are just, you know, winsomely agreeable. But this idea of prayer being the the equalizer, you know, the for us in 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 the space that it, that invites um, a new way forward by the Spirit of God is where I've seen it be the beautiful what we call after the beautiful letdown. There's the graceful turn. It feels like what you were naming earlier, Joe, the the ultimate place you land on the slope if you fall all the way down is the loss of hope. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate turning and posture is a hope for redemption and something more. It's for more of Christ. It's for more of who we were meant to be. Is for more as a community. And the way that Blaine, you're naming, and Joe, you're naming right now of entering into those conversations, they might take weeks. They probably take a year, if not more. And yet you're able to walk into it with the hope that what's going to come is so good and so worth fighting for is is huge. And it feels, again, like it's back to that motive. It's not just the, I'm going to have a conversation with you because I'm pissed and I want to have you hear me in my anger. But the, the motivation is so that this hope I have for us can actually begin to blossom and grow. And the reason this is so critical for us to learn that this is a cycle of a life cycle of learning together is because of all the people in the world, (laughs) us who follow Jesus, who's who's inviting us to see his kingdom come, (laughs) are constantly being given a hopeful expectation of a shared future together all the time. So we always are asked to ascend again. And, and this is what builds resiliency in your marriage, in your family, and in your community, is that we know how to do this. And we've been there. And the next time we come to this, if we've done it well, we know what to do. It builds a shock-absorbing resilience in the, in the quality of those relationships to keep ascending to a hopeful, imagined future. And then you don't get, then, then it saves you from being um, a cynic. I just want to emphasize <laughs> there's like two things that feel so important. And one is, I love your phrase of like, yep, conversation, more importantly, um, prayer. And then what you, I love how you termed it the prophetic address of the scriptures. Like, I just remember one time, pretty funny, pretty classic, where I was expressing some like relational disappointments to Emily. And then, like, you know, we hit the point in the conversation where she was like, stop, say what the gospel is. And I was like, classic Emily. As, Emily. <laughs> I was like, what? And I was like, haha. I just like, no, like right now. And it was like, okay, let me just take a minute to be like, okay, so like a good God who existed in relationship, desired that there should be creation and created. Well. Keep going. Okay. And then we were created for intimacy with God to know him and then, and then like building through like you actually I act just the way that the scriptures the story of God absolutely Jesus produces an effect in a person and in that case I experienced it in like two minutes of like returning to the story but then also just to call it into like 
it's so huge. I almost just like want to find the sound clip and put it again of as the people of God, we always have this vision of a shared future. And that's the vision that keeps us moving. It's what every generation that's been entrusted with stewarding the kingdom is responsible to to to, to do. It, it's your guy's turn, right? I, I'm I'm 55, but it's your turn to have your own hopeful expectations of the future until they culminate in in the story itself culminates in a dramatic fulfillment of a hopeful expectation of a glorious future. <laughs> you know, Christ returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, like the whole thing heads towards that. So we have to keep, you know what I mean, rising to that. And so, so again, becoming lifelong learners, um, building this resiliency within our the quality of our relationships at every level, the most intimate, particularly the most intimate first circle relationships is critical. And if we can do that, my goodness, we can keep moving forward and see the kingdom come in these beautiful ways without um, blowing up or sidelining or spinning out or dislocating ourselves from the community of faith because it's disappointed us and I'm not going to do that thing again. 